What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at DeepDiveFF, Instagram at DeepDiveFantasyFootball, and as always, check out the website, DeepDiveFantasyFootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Today, we are going over the Indianapolis Colts, and it's an interesting team because a lot of people look at Jonathan Taylor as the next Ezekiel Elliott. So we're going to talk about whether I think he is just that, or if I think there's some things to be worried about there. We've also got Michael Pittman. A lot of people are in. A lot of people are out. Carson Wentz, somebody that a lot of people are thrown to the wayside. This guy is not good anymore. He's washed up. And a bunch of other people who think Frank Reich is going to resurrect him. So I'm excited to get going with this team. Let's talk about the personnel changes. Obviously, quarterback Philip Rivers retired, and then they traded for Carson Wentz. They re-signed Marlon Mack to a one-year deal. I think this is going to have somewhat of an impact, but I'm not digging too much into that. And they also re-signed T.Y. Hilton to a one-year deal. So keep that in mind for dynasty fantasy football purposes because Michael Pittman, he might be the only dude there next year. So just remember, T.Y. Hilton, one-year deal. They also drafted defensive end Quiddy Pay in the first round, just like I mock-drafted it. I loved the fit there for Indy. That was part of the reason why I thought he should go there and why I thought they would select him. And in fact, they did. It was one of my nice hits, and I think that was a great addition for the team. That's pretty much it. If we're talking about personnel changes, in terms of players, that's pretty much it. Then the only other thing worth noting is that Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator for the Colts last year, is now the head coach for the Eagles, so he is gone. Now, let's talk about what PFF thinks about this team. They have the second-ranked O-line, just as it should be. They have the 19th-ranked defensive line, 5th ranked linebacking unit and 13th ranked secondary so overall they've got a pretty good team I honestly think this team is just a couple studs away on either defense or offense doesn't have to be both from being a true Super Bowl contender or at least being able to go very deep in the playoffs and having a shot at taking out a team like the Chiefs but it's definitely not good enough yet they're not there yet So let's get into the trends, let's get into the history, and then we'll get into the projections. They passed the ball 55% of the time last year. So they now have Marlon Mack back, because remember he was hurt last year. So they have him back. They have absolutely zero additions to the receiving game. Maybe either, you know, by the time I record this, before it comes out, maybe they have added Zach Ertz, or maybe, well, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Maybe they add Zach Ertz. But Pretty much, their receiving room is untouched from what they had at the end of the last season that just ended. And Carson Wentz is there. Obviously, he's more likely to run than Phillip Rivers. He does rack up some rush attempts. So I actually expect a similar rate in terms of pass run. You would think, you know, hey, Carson Wentz, they're going to... Frank Reich was with Carson Wentz. They passed the ball a decent amount in in Philly. So he's probably going to pass a little bit more this year than the washed-up Phillip Rivers arm that could only throw 25 yards down the field, right? Well, you might think that initially, but just remembering that Wentz is actually going to add to the amount of carries because instead of throwing it, sometimes he's going to run the ball, whereas Phillip Rivers would throw it. So that's going to kind of even it out and keep it similar to what we saw last year. At least that's how I'm projecting it. So 
with the offense getting better and an increase likely coming in plays, we might have a little bit better of a situation here. And I see Wentz as an upgrade. Some of you may disagree with that, and that's fine. But I think Wentz is an upgrade over Philip Rivers because Philip Rivers was getting to the point where he just, even though he knew what to do, he couldn't fully do it. And sometimes he he was just failed by his own physical abilities, which we can't blame him for, right? He had an amazing career. He was just towards the end of it. So with that said, I'm projecting 1,092 plays, tiny bit more plays per game this year than last year, thinking the offense is going to be a little bit better. And that leads to 600 exactly passes and 492 runs. So let's talk about Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has been averaging about 60 runs the past few seasons and 250-ish yards. So that's pretty much what I'm going to be projecting for him on the ground with two rushing touchdowns. When there is a clear reason to adjust his rushing, I will, but I don't really see one, so I'm just going with his average. So now let's talk about the passing game. In the two years with Frank Reich, Carson Wentz had a 66% completion rate, a 10.7 yards per completion, and a 4.8 touchdown rate. If we compare situations with where he's at now and where he was at in Philly with Reich, I don't think they're that different. They're actually kind of similar. They both had really good offensive lines. Philly, their offensive line is older, but it was very good when Wentz was there the past couple seasons with Reich. And they had a very big wide receiver in Alshon Jeffrey. Well, guess what? Indy has Michael Pittman, a bigger receiver, who's also, he is faster than I thought, so I actually can't really say he's a slower guy, kind of like Alshon. So we'll just focus on the size. (laughs) But Pittman and Alshon are very similar in that aspect and what kind of things that they can do to help an offense and both situations had good offensive lines both situations also had a smaller faster guy at wide receiver philly had nelson Aguilar, and indy has either ty hilton or paris campbell whichever one you want to pick philly had better tight ends and indy has better running backs so those can kind of you know be the differences there but i do think overall there's some good similarities and i think it's kind of something that we're going to see here when we actually see his efficiency numbers through the season because Wentz could easily, easily end up being just as good, if not better, in Indy than he was in Philly. I I really believe that. So I'm going to actually project a similar efficiency, and I might give him some more explosive plays, help out his touchdown rate a little bit. Indy does have an edge there because, like I said, Michael Pittman is faster and more athletic than Alshon, and then they still have the fast guys in T.Y. and Paris Campbell to make up for the lack of uh, Nelson Aguilar. So Overall, I think Indy's a little bit better of a situation, and therefore I'm going to bump his touchdown rate, but I'm basically keeping his completion rate and his yards per completion kind of around where he was at before. So I don't think Carson Wentz, he's not going to be great for fantasy, but he's definitely not going to be somebody you can't start because let's look at his division. All his division opponents are cake, cake matchups. We've got Jacksonville. Defense? What defense? Got Houston. Defense? What defense? And then we've got Tennessee. Defense? What defense? He's got six teams that he's going to face because each division opponent is twice. He's got six teams he's going to face that basically don't even have a defense. So that's great. He's got a green schedule. And he's a medium risk player overall because there is the possibility that he just, you know, he developed too many bad habits and it's too hard and too late for him to get out of them. And he ends up becoming a bust in the NFL. That's a thing that is a possibility I don't see it happening but because it is a possibility he has medium risk but he also has medium reward so that's the type of player he is he's not like a high risk high reward player not low risk low reward he's right there in the middle 
Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor. Running backs last year for the Colts got 24% of the target share. With Zach Pascal healthy and... Oh, did I just say Pascal? That's funny. Um, With... Oh my goodness, Paris Campbell. There it is. With Paris Campbell healthy and Zach Wentz, he wants to push the ball downfield, unlike Phillip Rivers. So both of those things, I think, are going to contribute to a reduction in the overall target share to the running back position. I'm knocking it down from 24% to 21%. And I think Naheem Hines is still going to dominate that receiving share. A lot of people want to project that um, that raise or rise in target share for Jonathan Taylor, but I, it's hard for me to see that. And some people might even point to his comparison of Ezekiel Elliott being the reason because Ezekiel Elliott was not a huge reception guy his rookie year, and then they started throwing him the ball, and he was very good. I do think Jonathan Taylor can be that, but while Naheem Hines is there, there's no reason for him to be that. Why would you give him all these receptions and stuff when you have Naheem Hines, who is basically a wide receiver, playing running back? Like, He's a very, very good receiving running back. He's definitely one of the better ones in the league. So when you have him, you might as well use him. So it's very hard for me to see Jonathan Taylor all of a sudden just getting this huge uh, this huge raise, basically, in that part of the game. It's just it's not something that I think is reasonable. So I'm going to keep his target share, which was 31% last year of the running back targets. I think that's going to be about the same, so I'm holding it. Naheem Hines, he's going to get most of the rest. Jonathan Taylor got 60% of the carries last year, but from game 10 on, he got 77% of the carries. He was getting 19.8 carries per game from game 10 on. Before that, he was only getting 12.7 attempts per game. So it would be very nice. We would all love Jonathan Taylor to get that 19.8 carries that he had from game 10 on the entire season this year. We would love that. That's what we all want. But and I'm not using this as a knock on Jonathan Taylor. I love the dude, and I have him ranked high. But Marlon Mack coming back is going to knock it down a little bit. They're not going to just sign Marlon Mack and not use him at all. And what do I mean by knock it down? I'm talking literally two carries a game. Two carries a game. Three carries a game. Not a big deal. It's really not. It's a difference in one, 1.2 fantasy points. Honestly, unless he steals a touchdown. So it's not too big of a deal, but Marlon Mack will take some of those carries away, and that's why I'm only going to give Jonathan Taylor 17.5 carries per game. That's a 69% share. Remember, he had a 60% share last year, 77% share from game 10 on, so kind of right there in the middle, a little bit on the higher side with 69%. I expect his 5.0 yards per carry average last year to stay similar because he's going to have a more potent passing attack and he's a very good running back and he picked up as the season went on and got better and better and better he's also got a super good schedule because what did I just say for Carson Wentz right the division opponents they don't got no defense and it's not just in terms of the secondary it's also in terms of defending the run so Jonathan Taylor has one of the better schedules for running backs just like Carson Wentz does for quarterbacks so Jonathan Taylor is definitely somebody who will be very good but I don't think he's going to be as good, and we'll talk about it towards the end, but I don't think he's going to be as good as some people think or some people are hoping for. Naheem Hines, all that receiving stuff that we talked about is going to bring him to 75 targets. He had 76 last year. He gets very little rushing. He's basically a floor play type of guy in PPR, and there are times that guys like this I like to draft right? Because they give you some security at the running back position in case you get riddled with injury. 
but also because some of them have potential to take over a backfield. That is not who Naheem Hines is. And I'll give you an example from the other side. But think about it this way. In this room, we have Jonathan Taylor, we have Jordan Wilkins, and now we have Marlon Mack back. So even if Jonathan Taylor went down, Naheem Hines is not going to get a whole bunch of carries. It's just going to go to Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins. He's only going to get one or two, maybe three more per game. Now, a similar person actually looking to the team that Frank Reich used to be the coach of, or part of the coaching staff for in Philly, Kenneth Gainwell, I have him a little bit lower in points per game than Naheem Hines, but I will draft Kenny Gainwell every single time over Naheem Hines because he's basically going to function in a similar role to Hines in Philly, except if Miles Sanders goes down, Kenneth Gainwell is getting the carries. If Jonathan Taylor goes down, Naheem Hines isn't. So he doesn't really have the upside that I look for in players like that. So Naheem Hines, look, if you want somebody super safe, go for it. But you got to shoot for upside if you want to win, especially if you're in super competitive leagues. You got to try to find those guys that can just become absolute studs. I don't see Naheem Hines having that potential. Now let's talk about Michael Pittman. He grades out really well in Matt Harmon's reception perception, and I love doing scouting, and I put in the effort, but by no means am I Matt Harmon. Matt Harmon definitely knows more than me. I know my limitations, right? Harmon knows how to look at wide receivers. He does the reception perception. He's somebody I really like looking at when it comes to receiver grades after they've been in the NFL. And Apparently, Michael Pittman was much better than I thought he was, and I started looking at a little bit more after seeing those things, and I started to see where I went wrong or or what I missed. And honestly, I think he just made a change coming out of college because in college, he did not seem very bursty, did not seem very quick. He seemed like he had some decent long speed, but that was kind of it in terms of speed or acceleration or quickness. But then in the NFL, he seemed like he definitely developed that over through the offseason and just worked and worked and worked at it because he definitely looked a lot more bursty on the NFL field. So I think that really helped him out. And he's going to have a great opportunity to take over this wide receiver room. There's a huge lack of target competition because it's T.Y. Hilton, who's getting hurt constantly and is towards the end of his career, and Paris Campbell, who's always hurt. So And, they ha- and then it's pretty much Michael Pittman. And they don't even have a good tight end as of time of recording. Maybe that changes, but... Or maybe it changes after, you know, this is released somewhere down the line and you're just listening to it super late. But as of right now, there's pretty much nothing going on there. I don't see any significant changes coming. So with T.Y. possibly leaving, dude, Michael Pittman could get like a 24, 25% target share next year. Or if T.Y. gets hurt this year, that could happen this year. So that's something that definitely you need to keep in mind when you're looking at Michael Pittman. He's one of those late round wide receiver targets that could pay off come an injury and right now he's kind of being drafted where he could pay off without an injury so keep that in mind as well he had a pretty limited route tree last year i'm talking slants crossing routes digs all of those are pretty close to the line of scrimmage and it makes sense because we've already talked about it philip rivers he was not able to push the arm or push the ball down the field with his weaker arm towards the end of his career so it kind of limited the routes that Michael Pittman was running and also it was his rookie season probably didn't want to put too much on his plate with him having another or a first year under his belt and having another offseason to train and being able to open up his route tree and go down the field more and have a quarterback that's willing to push the ball down the field he's probably going to be better and those deeper routes they're going to be less easy targets right because it's harder for the quarterback to be accurate further down the field so 
there it's his catch rate is going to go down. It's probably going to go down, but his yards per reception will definitely go up and make up for it. So now we just got to look at the targets, right? Because we've kind of got everything coming together here. What's the target share going to be? Last year, his target share was 13.5%. He could see a huge bump or it could stay around the same. It's really dependent upon how good T.Y. Hilton is this year. If, uh, if Paris Campbell can stay healthy and how much better um, how much better Pittman becomes. So I'm assuming assuming averages for those two things, right? I'm assuming TY is average, you know, he's good, not as good as he was towards the end of last year, but just still very good receiver. And that Campbell maybe, you know, plays 10, whatever, 12 games. So I'm gonna set Michael Pittman at 18%. That's pretty high compared to last year's 13.5. His target share for me is 18%. He's got upside for more though, because like I said, TY or Campbell go down, then he could be seeing in the 20s for sure. And that would definitely help. He only had one touchdown last year. Expect a big jump in that category as well. So Michael Pittman's looking pretty, pretty good. Let's talk about T.Y. Hilton. 18% of the targets last year. I don't think that can get any higher at this point. He will be 32. He has injury trouble. He relies on speed. And his efficiency has dropped the last two years. Yikes. Yikes. This is somebody that I look at and I say, boys, we have probably reached the cliff. This is probably the year for TY to drop off. And if you haven't heard it already, I've done a wide receiver drop-off chart, uh, a tweet. You can find it if you either message me or you could actually, I figured this out a while ago. I don't know if I've told you guys about it, but you can go into Twitter. And if you go in the search bar, you could put at deep dive FF put a space, right? So you have my username in there and then type in any keyword that you want to pull up and it'll pull out pull out any tweets that I've tweeted with those words. So you could put like, and it's helpful for me too, so I don't have to bookmark and save everything. So I just put like at deep dive FF and then put the space and put like drop off. And you'll probably see the first thing that pops up is that drop off chart for wide receivers and their ages. And it's pretty much 32. 32 is that number, that deadly number for wide receivers. That's what T.Y. Hilton is at right now. So I'm kind of passing. Paris Campbell. Oh, and I'm projecting 16% uh, target share for T.Y. Hilton this year, 2% from last year down. Paris Campbell, I'm projecting him a 15% target share, just barely under T.Y., but I'm lacking in confidence. You know, it could be higher, could be worse. It's kind of hard to tell with the dude who has barely played any games in the NFL. And his injury history makes me want to bump Pittman so badly. I want to just be able to say, dude, Paris Campbell's probably going to get hurt. Let me just give Michael Pittman a 21% target share. But I can't because we don't project for injury. You just got to keep that in the potential column in the draft sheets, right? Keep it in the potential column. My, Michael Pittman's got a good potential. But with that said, Paris Campbell, he could surpass T.Y., but he's not huge on yardage. He is a shorter, closer to the line of scrimmage guy, and that's not very good for Wentz, especially especially if Wentz is the Wentz of old and or the Wentz of any time that we've ever seen, and he throws 100-mile-per-hour checkdowns. Carson Wentz needs to chill. He needs to learn how to chill because every time he throws like seven yards in front of him or like just past the line of scrimmage, he's pegging the ball for no reason. It leads to interceptions because the ball gets tipped off the hands of the person he's throwing to. It leads to a lot of drops for easy, crucial downs where if he just put some touch on the ball, that wouldn't happen. So 
That's also not great for Paris Campbell. And also, it did actually have me reduce the catch rates for the running backs. So hopefully Carson's not like that, but I'm going to project him to be that way because he's always been that way. Overall, I'm not too interested in Paris Campbell. He's got a lot of risk, and I'm not talking about where he's being drafted. Just his injury history is super, super risky. I would rather take a shot somewhere else. The dude's got very little upside. With that said, I want to mention that when you're drafting late and you're looking at the wide receiver position in redraft especially because these guys are not going to be there in dynasty drafts late, you need to get the rookie wide receivers. Because if you look at the wide receivers that end up being values or being people that really help you down the stretch in fantasy leagues that you've drafted in the double-digit rounds, it's not your third-year guys, your fourth-year guys, your veterans that are all labeled as sleepers. No. The guys that you get at the wide receiver position after round like 10 or 12 that actually end up being really good for you in fantasy are always rookies or second-year players. Paris Campbell is neither of those two things. Could he be a super outlier? Because we're already talking about outliers in and of itself because we're talking about sleepers, right? Guys that are going super late that end up being really good. They're already outliers. Is Paris Campbell going to be an outlier among outliers? I doubt it. I really doubt it. So that's another reason I'm not looking at Campbell. Towards the end of drafts, my preference, take an Amari Rodgers. Take a Deami Brown. Take a Terrace Marshall. I would say take a Kadarius Tony, but you guys know I don't really care for the situation that much. And also, apparently, like, he doesn't use the jugs machine and, like, some some other weird kind of things that been, have been coming out of camp that's not super hap- uh, not super awesome for me to hear because I like Kadarius a lot and it's not positive, too positive towards him. But anyways, without getting sidetracked, those Amari Rodgers, those Deami Browns, Terrace Marshalls, all these rookie wide receivers that have opportunity or possible opportunity, those are where you should be taking your late round draft swings in the end. And be patient. If you have the space on the bench, if you have the depth to get through just having some guys that might not be doing well the first few weeks, Justin Jefferson got dropped by so many people. I feel like he was probably... Whoever's teams he was on, I bet you, I bet you, and this is probably something you could look up. I This is just coming to my mind, so obviously didn't have a chance to research it, but I bet you that Justin Jefferson was drafted by less than half of the teams he was on in the fantasy playoffs. I'm willing to bet that because he was dropped by probably like 70% of the teams that drafted him, and obviously most of those teams were probably not able to get him back up off the waiver. So just be patient. And he blew up in week three. So just be patient. It's going to take a few weeks for rookie wide receivers, but those are the ones that you want. Trust me. And you could even take shots at second-year players, a.k.a. Michael Pittman. But that's pretty much where you're drawing the line. So with all of the people we've projected, we've got 31% of the targets left on the table. I have not picked a tight end to project because Zach Ertz might end up joining. Trey Burton, who was already with Carson Wentz and Frank Reich, might resurge. Moali Cox might just be the guy. I don't have enough info, so I'm not going to project a tight end yet. And if you want to give a bit more to any wide receiver you like, whichever wide receiver you like the most out of who we've talked about, you can. Because 31% left on the table when we've already projected 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of the people that are going to be getting targets in this offense, 31% is a good amount. So if you want to take 2% and tag it onto T.Y. or Pittman or Campbell, Go for it. And you can do that in those draft sheets, those free draft sheets that you can check out. Um, link in the Twitter bio or just hit me up or in the Instagram bio for those of you that came from Instagram. 
And with that said, let's get into the actual projections. Because, like I said, not focusing on any tight ends. I'm just going to wait and see what comes out during the preseason or anything, and then I'll pick a tight end to project. So Carson Wentz, we've got him at 600 passes, 390 completions, 4,524 yards, 29 touchdowns, and then 240 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. That gives him 19.7 points per game. He is right between Justin Fields and Ben Roethlisberger for me. But like I said, not huge potential. He's a medium reward, medium risk type of guy. He doesn't have a bad schedule though, so he's a. I think he makes an ideal quarterback too for Superflex Leagues. Jonathan Taylor, having projected for 16.7 points per game, that's off 42 targets, 34 receptions, 286 receiving yards, and a touchdown, and then 297 carries, 1,485 rushing yards, and 11 touchdowns. So 12 touchdowns total, just about 1,700 yards total, 100 per game, and that puts Jonathan Taylor right between Antonio Gibson and Derrick Henry. I am going to say this, and this is going to make some of you guys mad. But this is what my process shows me. Jonathan Taylor is not a top five running back. He doesn't have the receiving, and he doesn't have the absolute hold on the carries. If you don't have the receiving, you have to have 85% of the carries like a Derrick Henry. Otherwise, you're not going to be a top five running back, much less top three, which is where he's being drafted sometimes. So I love Jonathan Taylor. He is one of the safer running backs. And for that reason, I do have him higher in my ranking over a couple people that I have projected to score more than him. And it's because he's a lot safer and he has less questions and less like injury history or anything like a quarterback question like Alvin Kamara or something like that. So Jonathan Taylor, he's a great pick. Just don't go too far with it and don't say Jonathan Taylor is like a lock top three running back or lock top five running back because the reality is he's not. Naheem Hines, I have him at 75 targets, 59 receptions, 527 yards, two receiving touchdowns, 64 carries, 282 yards, two touchdowns. So like I said, not very interested. That's 800 800 yards and four touchdowns for Naheem Hines. It's 9.6 points per game right between Kenny Gainwell and Kenyon Drake. And like I said, I'll take Gainwell above him, which is why I have Gainwell above him, but he is projected for more than Gainwell. Michael Pittman I have at 11.5 points per game, 108 targets, 64 receptions, 898 yards, 7 touchdowns. He is between Antonio Brown and Will Fuller for me. That's exactly where I would have put him before I projected him. So I actually love that spot. Came out exactly to what I would have, you know, just how I would have ranked him off instinct. Then we've got Paris Campbell. I got him at 9.1 points per game right between Brian Edwards and Kadarius Toney. He's at 90 targets, 63 receptions, 617 yards, 5 touchdowns. T.Y. Hillen I have at 9.6, just barely above Paris Campbell. He's between Devonta Smith and Russell Gage. I have T.Y. Hillen at 96 targets, 6 more than Campbell, 54 receptions, 726 yards, and 6 touchdowns. So with that said, that's the entire team. Jonathan Taylor, I'm looking to draft because he's a safer guy. If I can get him at the back end of the first round, I'm happy, but I'm probably not going to take him higher than that. Carson Wentz, uh, ideal QB2. Michael Pittman is probably the one I'm going to draft the most on this team, which is something I never would have thought I would have said um, pre-draft last year before Michael Pittman was officially on a team in the NFL. But hey, things change. You got to be willing to adapt and admit when you were wrong. I was wrong on Michael Pittman. He was somebody I missed on. Didn't think he was going to be a great athlete. Thought it was going to hinder him. Clearly, that has not been the case. So Michael Pittman is the dude that I am trying to get 
the most on this offense in accordance to value. I think he's the best value, and it's easier to get somebody later on than somebody that's drafted super high because it kind of depends on where your draft spot is when you're talking about guys that are going in the first couple of rounds, right? So with that said, thank you guys for tuning in. Can't wait to get to the next team. Thank you guys. As always, drop a rating, drop a review. Hopefully it's not too echoey. I'm not sure if it will be. I kind of put up some more soundboards and stuff or sound absorbers, whatever you want to call them. And got some jerseys up and stuff. It's a nice little space so far. Thank you guys for everything. Have a good one. Peace.